Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to continue our expectations series. Been having a lot of fun with these two players at a time, one from the offense, one from the defense. Today, we're going to talk about wide receiver Nelson Aguilar and nose tackle Travis Jones. And here to talk to me about that is John Zajac. John, how you doing? I'm good, Ken. How you doing, man? Uh, life is good. Had you on for for an episode of that one play. Thought you might like to do this, and appreciate you joining me for this. It's a it's a uh, uh, fun couple of players to talk about. Nelson Aguilar, a player uh, entering his ninth season. He turned thirty in May, so he fits right into the Ravens' veteran wide receiver acquisition rules of getting guys who are who are thirty years old or thereabouts. Uh, signed to a three point two five million one year deal. Uh, it's got some void years attached to it. Don't know how you feel about the void contracts. How are you? How are you digging these void contracts? Uh, I mean, I don't know. That's that's a good question, honestly. I mean, it just depends. Like, um, it, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. It really just depends on how it plays out, honestly. You know, so I I don't love it, but I mean, I guess it's you kind of got to do it. I mean, they had they got to bring in some talent, so you got to do stuff like this sometimes. Yeah, so the Ravens are effectively what this means is they're spending 2.1 million of 2024 money with a guarantee of no play on the field for it in that season. Now you do that, you have a pool of money you're working with all the time in terms of what will end up being dead money effectively um, that you, you manage, you try and manage well. And the Ravens were in a, a situation where they're signing Lamar Jackson they need to be careful about exactly how much money they might need because of the potential that he would have played on the tag. And then they would have needed it all up front. Of course, when Jackson is signed, uh, there is a, a lot of cap relief in year one. And now the dollars given to Beckham and the dollars given to Aguilar that are in the void years will hit the Ravens pretty hard in the future. Although in 2022, they're cheap. So it's a, uh, kick the can down the road, move. And the Ravens are one of the teams. We're going to get into this in an episode um, next week with Brad Spielberger, who's done some great analysis of all 32 teams and exactly how the health of their three-year cap looks. And the Ravens are not in good shape there. They're about 27th out of 32 teams, I want to say, in terms of where they are, not to spoil his uh, his product at all for us. Sometimes you got to do it. You know, the Steelers did it for years with Roethlisberger. So it's not, it didn't always work out for them, obviously, but you know, you, you got to do it. Well, fair enough. Uh, so let's go on. I, I, the, the other cost to this, and, and it's one that I was perplexed by because I think that Nelson Aguilar is a player who is still around probably maybe even now, but he's still around, he's still around later in the free agent process. Um that there was a sixth round comp- compensatory pick they got for Josh Oliver signing with the Vikings. And they lost that by signing Nelson Aguilar, even though he's a, he's not, he's a lower end free agent. 
they gave away a sixth round uh, draft pick, or sorry, sixth round compensatory pick they would have gotten for Oliver in 2024. So uh, to me, that's a little frustrating. And I know they traded a sixth round in 2024 already to get um, uh, Voris. And it may have been a case where that compensatory 2024, because the way those things are usually structured is any sixth round pick. So you could you they might have been able to give that lower sixth round pick for Voorhees. Not a huge difference, but it might have been ten or fifteen slots in the pecking order um, that they uh, that they gave away for that as well. So I'm nonplussed by that because I didn't really see the need. I didn't really see that Aguilar was a player that they had to sign early. Yeah, I mean. I, I think back to March and I think about how dismal and how dark it was to be a Ravens fan at that time. I mean, it was not, not a great time. We had, we had Lamar pretty much, Hey, I'm asking out. Let's I'm getting out of here. We had, you know, Bateman still coming off injury. We have pretty much a depleted receiver room that DeCosta already said, Hey, we're going to pretty much flip the room. So I think that this was just kind of like almost an olive branch. Like, Hey, we're doing something here We're we're bringing in a guy. And also then you look at April and, you know, a lot of predictions about Ravens taking receiver, we get Zay, but, like, there was no guarantees that he was going to fall that far. I mean, there was a lot of hype, a lot of people talking about Zay Flowers, as well as some of those other receivers that got drafted right before and right after him. So, I mean, it's almost like we got to do something. This is a guy that has made plays, and that's something that I, I see with Aguilar is, like, he's one of those guys, it's almost like a he's a, he's a discount Brandon Cooks almost. He's a guy that like he appears on your NFL highlights three or four times a year randomly, and you're just like, wow, that was a really good play. So at least you're getting something out of that. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. And and the Ravens, um, I think probably understood what the situation with Bateman was at that point. They, you know, have announced some things with regard to Bateman. Uh, you know. They're still taking it very easy with him, I think, is the wording that's gone. But, you know, we're two months away from the start of the regular season, basically today. We're, we're recording this on July 7th. And if they're still talking about taking it easy with Bateman, that has me worried that Bateman's not going to start the season. It would have me worried anyway because, hey, it's a Liz Frank injury, and those often take a full year and change to recover from, which may mean that he's not the same guy at any point during 2023. But – then I look at the rest of the room in terms of the X receivers, and I'm thinking there isn't a lot here. Aguilar has been a mixed guy in terms of where he's played. He's played some wide left at New England, which you know be your typical X role. He's played some wide right, and he's played some slot. And he's been that way for a number of seasons. He's been a, a mixed use receiver, and I think you know if you depend on him to be the X, not sure he's going to be the guy that gives you the route running skills that turn him from a guy who can be covered one-on-one on on an island to a guy who demands safety help. And that's what the Ravens really need to generate out of their X receiver this year. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're hundred percent right there. He's, he's not that guy. He probably, he probably never was that guy, but I mean, he is a guy that you can throw out there, um, you know, with the hopes that, Hey, he can't, he can make some big plays. He has made some one-on-one plays. He's made some huge deep catches. Uh, he's made some contested catches. I think he works best over the middle. Um, I think that he can create a lot of space. If you watch a lot of the early highlights of last season um, with him on the Patriots, it's a lot of him creating space in drag concepts and um, uh, you know, just slants across the field where 
he's creating a lot of open ground. So if we can get him in that role, but again, if you're asking him to sub in for Bateman, you know, he's not a one for one mix um, in terms of that. And, and I think that that's going to be something that the Ravens are going to have to struggle with, you know, if we do get, you know, a delay on his, his return. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's fair. You, you shouldn't expect to be able to replace a first round draft pick with a mediocre veteran guy. And he, of course, Aguilar himself was a first round draft pick drafted number 20 by the Eagles in 2015, but he ain't a first round draft pick anymore at this point in his career. And you know, I, what I will say, there's some positives here and I want to get to that, but I think maybe if this is a, tell me the good news, tell me the bad news thing. I think the bad news traditionally comes first. And we kind of got to talk about that. He's got a 7.5 yards per target career. That is not particularly good for a wide receiver, but it was 10.9 three years ago with the Raiders. Now, that is an outstanding number. In fact, it would be the second highest number in Ravens history if you were able to do that this year. So it's, it's really something. And it was on 82 targets, so it wasn't a, minim, uh, it wasn't a minimalist number of targets. And he had 50-some this last year. I think he might have had 53 targets uh, last year. Uh, so what I have to look at in this is to try and separate – how much of what he did is Mac Jones and how much of what he did is Nelson Aguilar these last two years when he has pretty been pretty bad for New England. So let's talk the bad news and go through some of the statistics that that he posted these last couple of years at New England. Or actually, I just went with the 2022 numbers. So there are 84 receivers in the National Football League who had 50 plus targets this last year, wide receivers. The good news, he was 34th in A dot with 12.1 yards per target. Now you got to catch the balls, but that's that's you know a good start. That means he's he's basically a deep threat, um, a little more than an average receiver because the 42nd is the median, or 42nd and 43rd are the median of that. He was 23rd in yak per reception at 4.7. That's good news. Oftentimes, a guy who gets behind the defense is creating a little more yak. The guys who don't. But the bad news is that the guys who don't create a lot of yak are typically the receivers who get a lot of attention. So Mark Andrews had a terrible yak year this last year, and multiple defenders were draped on him. Well, Nelson Aguilar may be getting a little break in terms of yak because his overall receiving numbers are not particularly good. His overall you know, threat level as a wide receiver is not particularly good at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um... I mean, to comment on some of that, you know, obviously with Andros, he's not he's not the number one. Um, but I will say on that Patriots team, it's not like they really had a true number one last year. So um, I think that there's a little bit there's a little bit of discrepancy with with their data with him. Also, like their offense was a hot mess. I mean, they scrapped yeah. everyone from their their their, uh, you know, play calling and offensive room and, and they. Patricia and Joe judge, like that was who was running their offense. Like, so, so it's, it's hard to really look at that Patriots last season and be like, Oh yes, this is exactly who Nelson Aguilar is now to this day. Um, and then you look at those Raiders highlights and then you got, you got this guy again, burning down the field. And if we can get uh, some of that, I mean, that's, that's what he looked like at Philly. And that's what he obviously looked like there. Um, that's, that's what we're hoping that he is, you know, we we have to come back to that because the, the because his his time in 2020 with the Raiders and his time with Philadelphia frankly wasn't very good either. I, I'll, I'll get into that later if you want, but but it's really 2020 with the Raiders playing indoors with Derek Carr, who's kind of a, a a guy who can move around a little bit, throw the ball. It, it, is that more who he is with Lamar Jackson, or is it more 
what he was the last two years. And you're right. I mean, the, the, the New England offense was an absolute shambles. And that might have mean that he got more attention under those circumstances. And, and this led to more of this. But there's a there's a whole bunch of other bad. Um, of 84 receivers, he was 83rd in drop rate, 11.4%. The only guy worse was Darius Slayton, by the way, who a whole bunch of people on Twitter wanted to see come to the Ravens. Darius Slayton has been one of the worst droppers in the history of the National Football League, certainly in recent years. Um, uh, and the problem with Aguilar is that really wasn't an aberration. His career rate is 9.5%, which would have been 75th out of 84 in 2022. By the way, very unusual. That year-to-year variation should be high. So 2022 variation should be high for the individual receivers relative to somebody's career numbers, which is based on a lot more targets. And to be at 9.5% career is, is quite bad for a wide receiver. And Slayton is the one guy who really sticks out in the National Football League as being a worse dropper over a similar, not, it's not the entire tenure because Slayton's been in the league for less, but um, but that's, you know, in terms of being a worse, worse dropper among contemporaries, he's the guy. That's for sure. I mean, it's not like, it's not like the Ravens haven't had that guy a couple years ago with Hollywood Brown. Um, so it's not like we're, we're not used to having a guy like that. And we have a lot of sure hands on the team. So, you know, Mark Andrews, I think Odell's going to be sure hands too. Like mm-hmm. you're, I, I just think he's going to be a safety blanket as well. Um, we'll see what we get out of likely. We'll see if Kolar sees the field, like, well, um, you know, Bateman when he does come back, but I, I mean, I, I just think that when I look at Aguilar and why, why that signing was a good one is just, you look at who is in that receiver room, um, over the last couple of years for Lamar, like, let's take you back to, you know, 2019 and let's just kind of talk through like the top four or five guys that they had, they had, they had Hollywood, they had miles Boykin, they had Chris Moore, Seth Roberts, Willie Sneed and the preseason favorite Jaleel Scott. Um, yes. you know, and, uh, and, um, and this is another thing I, I, I kind of want to get into is just, let's talk about how over the years we've had all these young receivers, um, you know, Tylen Wallace, all these names, uh, pro they, they have the, they flash in two or three games in the preseason and the whole fan base gets behind them and then they completely disappear in the regular season. Um, so, so I just think that Aguilar at least is somebody you're like, Hey, this guy doesn't just disappear in the regular season. So we have seen him. We have seen him in highlights every year in his career, um, regardless if he's having a good or bad season. Um, you know, again, I, I, I want to say that's that's fair with regard to the individual players, but we need to be careful not to be revisionist about this. So if we look back at who was the who are the wide receivers in 2019 and 20, I, I'm not saying they had a bunch of guys who they were really happy with, but in Snead and Roberts, expectations were higher for them than you know, at that point. And the expectations are now high for Aguilar in a, in a probably in a relative sense, at least relative to last year. Um, there's, they certainly are, are, are probably higher. I'm just, I, I, the expectations, I tell you who the expectations are super high for is Beckham. Yeah. And that to me is a guy who there's a ton of risk associated with Odell Beckham. If it works out fantastic, I would love for it to work out. Is, is there a good chance it doesn't? I think we could be here two years from day talking about some other 30-year-old receiver and say, remember Odell Beckham? We gave him a chance at 30 after he'd been you know, out of football for, for a year and had been pretty bad the year before that in terms of his regular season results. He did have a good postseason, but in terms of his regular season results, had shown this steady decline in yards per target over his career. And I, I just think you know, 
expectations are always higher than they ought to be on any name wide receiver that comes around. Uh, so we've, I, 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 I hate to fall into this trap. And generally speaking, I like taking chances on younger wide receivers who've at least shown a little bit in the NFL ideally, but even if they haven't been in the NFL yet and they're rookies and, you know, I, I, I kind of like taking chances on them as well relative to 30 year old veterans. For sure. I mean, I couldn't agree with you, you more. I mean, I think that it was nice to see DeCosta throw darts at the board at the receiver position. He spent draft capital. It didn't work, but he spent draft high draft capital at that position for years. Um, you know, it's not a lot landed, but it was nice as opposed to, uh, with Ozzy, it just felt like it was we were just kind of waiting for some veteran to cut that we can kind of bring in and make make him our own. Well, I go, I go back to the 2018 draft. Ozzy's best, DaCosta, huge yeah. hand in it, and the two receivers they took in that draft were the two worst players by far. So they had <laughs> nine guys I think who were still in the NFL and a bunch of people getting their second contracts and whatnot. Zach Sealer, their seventh round pick, you know, was the first to get the additional contract. Lamar is the highest paid player in the league. And, but, but the, the, the two guys they, dra- they draft were Jordan Lasley, who's most famously known for throwing the ball into the pond at the practice facility and, and getting his ass cut for that and, and some other things. And, yeah. and Julio Scott, who, you know, it, it never showed anything in, in the NFL. We should be honest about, about who, who he was. And uh, it's, it's interesting. They threw darts at the board even then. It's just they were hit. They hit on all their other darts. I, it's it's a, it's a two. To me, it's a, it's a it's a double edged sword here. Number one is the Ravens don't seem to have great scouting of wide receivers, and I it just yeah, you know they, they they can't figure out the injury situations with them, and and that seems to be right. The second problem is they don't develop wide receivers at all. So you know, it, it, and maybe if you want to throw in a third, is they had a run first offense that was exceptionally great at what it did with no impetus to change to a wide receiver scheme. And now bringing in Monken, they find themselves extremely poor at the position with the likelihood that, a, that the scheme will change. Um, and they, I think you know, by all indications, they want it to change, um, but they don't necessarily have the, the, the talent to catch the football. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's for sure. I, I mean, <laughs> you're, you're right about, like, Ozzy threw dart, darts to the board. Like, let me, let's, let's talk about that. It just, I just felt like DaCosta in 19, he started throwing higher draft picks. So, I, I yeah. mean, I, and I'll, I'll give him credit for that. I know that didn't work out. But it, I felt like it was kind of almost an olive branch to the fan base to say, hey, we're going after these guys. We're trying to bring in talent. I mean, for years I've been saying, I don't know who – the hell is in the Steelers uh, department for receivers, but they we pick need to, Yeah. We, we need to just, we need to double that guy's salary, bring him here. I don't know what the hell they have in the water over there, but those, they just, they just breed receivers. It's ridiculous. Yeah, um, they know how to develop them too. And it's, yeah. it's, they, they've drafted them well, they developed them well. And frankly, they've cut them loose at the right time. You know, they got right. rid of Juju at the right time. Chase 100%. Claypool, uh, Chase Mike Claypool's- Wallace. Yeah, Mike, Mike Wallace is another good one. And who's the fourth? Antonio Brown. They traded. It didn't seem like a good trade at the time to trade him <laughs> for a three and a five, but it was a great trade. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's crazy, especially like you look at that. He had like a six-year run, and, yeah. and his stats are just ridiculous from those six years. Um, I, I think that one of the – a little tangent here. Like one of the biggest travesties of your Steelers fan is like the Killer Bees era not to win a Super Bowl. Like that's – you got to look back at that era and be like, well, that was a complete failure with – Roethlisberger, Bell, and Brown just absolutely being the best of their positions and not coming away with any hardware from that. Yeah. Um, just to go back on an earlier point, you know, talking about Beckham, 
I think I look at that Beckham signing as almost like the Paul George signing for the LA Clippers. Um, it was, it was almost like we got Beckham so we could get the Kawhi Leonard. We got, we got Beckham, they, the Clippers signed Paul George so we can get, uh, so we can get Kawhi Leonard. We got Odell Beckham so we can bring back Lamar Jackson. So if, uh, if you add that 18 million to Lamar's contract, I, I don't have any problem with it. I, I, you know, I, I really would be fine if they had just given Lamar the additional money there. Um, particularly if it were, if it were in some way not guaranteed, but this is all guaranteed money. It's just, it, it it's, it's going to hit the, hit the cap like a lead pipe in 2024 in terms of how hard it's going to hurt to not have either. Uh, I think it's either 12 or 15 million or whatever the amount is. Um, it, it basically pushed it all into 2024. He's, he will not be a Raven in 2024, unless they completely renegotiate a contract for him, which I, I, I wouldn't think it's any more likely than any of the other 32 teams. Well, maybe it's slightly likely more likely than any of the 32 teams, but I think it's, I think it's unlikely that, that he'll be back in, in 2024, given the Ravens cap constraints. Uh, it's just, I, 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 I really, part of the thing that, that has me bothered is the void year structure. I really hate and I understand you're moving around dollars no matter what, but the, the void year structure is worse and worse with a, a, a payroll that's expanding now with a number of cornerstone contracts. And we're probably at a point where the Ravens don't have room for another cornerstone contract. But you have you have Lamar, certainly already signed on the defense. You have Roquan, Humphrey. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're not in a position to take on a cornerstone player like Matabike on the defense, which is which is – Maybe bothersome if if you think he's going to be good. Um, you're uh, I try to think on the on the offensive side of the ball. Andrews, who am I forgetting about Andrew sure. and Stanley? Yeah. So that's it's that's a lot of cornerstone contracts, and they're big ones. They're not yeah. small ones, and they're in the maturing years of those contracts. So they're in the real payout years where the cap numbers hurt. So we're you know it's it's a uh, Jackson is the one exception to that right now, but it's going to accelerate. It's going to get a lot tougher with him to fit in other big contracts with that. And uh, I just, I, I, as a season ticket holder, I've made this comment many times on air here. I do not want a roller coaster ride of tanking and winning. That's fine for a TV fan who can turn off the damn TV. It's not fine for me. I go to these games, give me a consistent product on the field more than a highs and lows product on the field. Right. I mean, but that doesn't, that, the Ravens will trick me as an organization that's ever done that. Even in the, some of those low points, they're, they're going nine and seven, they're going eight and eight, they're going seven mm-hmm. and nine, six and 10. Um, and they're making major changes at that point. I don't see the talent on this roster being anywhere close to those numbers, unless, you know, you're dropping pretty much all the AFC North games. Um, you know, other teams are in the same position too. You look at like the Chargers, you look at the Browns, their 2024 is just as hot of a mess as ours. I mean, I think the the Chargers are like 75 million over the cap next year. Same with the Browns. There's some something gross where you're talking made they're talking major cuts. We might we're not talking major cuts. We just might not be able again to keep some of our guys. That's true. You know, mm-hmm. so I don't think we're gonna be losing any of those cornerstone guys. It just sucks that we'll probably lose out on them at a BK, but um, as bad as it is, and I would agree with you in, in this thing, as bad as the Ravens situation is and, and, the, and the difficulty in three-year cap is, the, the Cleveland Browns have that awful Deshaun Watson contract that they're going to have to eat and work through. And even if they restructure it, and honestly, he's going to have to turn into a much better football player than he was last year 
for that for that to uh, work out for the Browns. I mean, that's an obvious statement, but he, but he he's gonna he's gonna have to refine his ability. He had several years ago now before before that uh, will work out for the Browns. I think that's that's the potential really good news in the division is the Browns will be um, have that millstone hanging around their neck for you know the next. It, it could it could be it could be only four years, but it could be seven or eight years if they decide to extend him. <laughs> during- yeah. I know. I mean, we, like that's that's why I almost like the Odell contract because again, it just gave us the ability to to get Lamar back to the table, and then you know, thank you Eagles again, letting us trade back into the first round to get Lamar, and then signing Jalen Hurts and giving him the deal to pretty much say, "Hey, build my deal off this." I mean, thank that you, was Eagles a good break. for sure. That was yeah. that was yeah. So you know, getting us there. So just getting back to Aguilar though, but before all of that happens, we bring him in. And um, again, it just looks like something that's like, all right, let's try to rework this receiver room. And again, there's not a lot of talent in the free agency market um, at that time. Okay. So we've been interrupted a couple of times on this, but I got to go through the rest of 2022 and the bad news before we start turning this around. And going <laughs> through, I want to do it too. I don't want to be the only guy who's giving bad news here, but there is a lot of bad news. Yeah. Um, we talked about the drop rate. He's 77th of 84 receivers in contested catch rate. That's terrible. It's only, it's a very small number, two out of seven, but it's, it's not his thing. And uh, it, it, it hasn't really been his thing ever, but it definitely wasn't his thing in 22. 67th in yards per route run out of 84 at 1.23. Some of that's on Jones because obviously he's that, that is dependent on a quarterback getting you the ball in an accurate way. 78th in passer rating throwing to him at 72.3 out of 84 guys. Marquise Brown, by the way, 66.4 last year was even worse. That's uh, That ended up being a pretty damn good trade. Yeah, way. for sure. Yeah. Uh, he had two fumbles, uh, Aguilar Dud. That was tied for the third most among receivers. His yards per target was 6.8. I don't have a ranking on that for whatever reason. You know, PFF gives you a lot of nice metrics, but they exclude yards per target which is just ridiculous. And so a ranking for that would be, would be nice. Um, but it's not good for a wide receiver. It's, it's not the very bottom, but it's not good. So I, I just summing it all up, you get the idea. It was a very bad year in new England. There were a lot of things wrong. We don't have to make excuses for them on everything, but I think what we do need to do is we need to figure out why should this be more similar to 2020 at, at, with the Las Vegas Raiders, as opposed to these last two years with new England all, and also factor in the aging component of that because Aguilar was a 27-year-old man when he had that season, and now he's a 30-year-old man. And there is going to be a, a, you know, a difference for that. But let's talk about reasons for optimism. You seem ready to do it. Go ahead. Hey, I, I mean, let's I, – I was kind of giving you that take a couple minutes ago about just the receiving rooms that Lamar's had to throw to over the years. Um, I already told you the 2019 one, and that was his MVP season. Mm-hmm. So let's just look at 2020. You know, he's still got Sneed, Crochet, Chris Moore, DuVernay, Des Bryant, uh, the, well, the corpse <laughs> of Des Bryant, I should say. <laughs> yes. Um, Hollywood and Boykin. So again, all those young guys, couple of which we invested some decently high draft picks. Um, you know, nothing really came out of that room. Again, uh, it's good season in 2020 as well. So um brown you know yeah brown brown obviously obviously hollywood i mean that was that was like kind of who we were hanging our hat on and saying oh my god we finally drafted a first round receiver we did it (laughs) you know the next year we bring in sammy watkins they they draft tylen wallace Prochet still there duvernay marquise and boykin 
I forgot how long Boykin lasted before we were just kind of like, hey, you know, you mm-hmm. can go to the Steelers. It's fine. Uh, we'll find someone else to block. And then Bateman. Um, you know, so again, it's just all these young, unproven guys. And then Watts, Watkins, which, you know, for years had just been injury, 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 injury. Um, so that was an interesting kind of pickup. Let's, let's toss Boykin's name out there. Who would you rather have as your backup emergency X receiver this year and number four guy, Aguilar or Boykin? <sighs> Wow. Boykin gives you a lot on a football field that Aguilar doesn't give you. I mean, but Aguilar can still block. The one thing that he's uh, he's got, he's an underrated blocker. So, I mean, I will say like, (laughs) I I know you're going to hate this take, but like, I'd rather have Aguilar. I mean, I, I can see him making plays. How many, how many catches has Miles Boykin, Miles Boykin caught? Like how many times have we seen him make a play? He's made a couple of, couple of touchdowns. You know, I don't even know how many touchdowns he has in his career. Um, but I would much rather have Aguilar, even though he's less of a blocker. It's my point is that it's it's really close. Okay. Yeah. That it's it's not far. I mean, here's what I'll tell you. There haven't been a ton of targets for Boykin during the Lamar area, and we know why. You can you can give the initials of the guy who's most responsible for that. <laughs> but but his uh career yards per target is eight point two. Aguilar yeah. is not in that range. Uh, I have to look back. I think he was seven point five. Uh, let me get to it might be wrong because he did have one really good year three years ago, but Aguilar is no 7.4 career in, in terms of, of yards per target. And, you know, you definitely get a much better blocker with, with Boykin. And, and I, I would agree with you, by the way, that Aguilar had been a pretty good blocker prior to last year. And I think that with the Ravens that will improve again because it has to, he's, you know, he's, he's a guy that they preach it. And I think that they'll get that right. Boykin was just exceptional in that regard, being able to maintain length and position, keep his feet at the time. Uh, you know, I, I, and I'm not saying right now that I'd rather have 2022 Boykin, sorry, 2023 Boykin necessarily be the guy to replace Aguilar. But if you're talking about Boykin after his second year or Aguilar right now, there's no doubt in my mind who I take no doubt in my mind. That's fair. You know, Hey, okay. agree to disagree on that. Sure. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, just looking at 2020 um, Aguilar, you know, he's kind of he's kind of morphing into a similar you know team as as he was on then. You know, they had Renfro. They had uh, they had Waller. I think that was Waller's really good season with them. And then he was kind of their three, um, you know, and that's kind of where we're envisioning him as being our like three or our four or maybe even our five in, you know, that's kind of where we want him. So it's like if we can get a couple guys ahead of him. Um, to really show up to the plate and then he can kind of just come in there and make a couple handful of big plays and just be out there um, as a, as a, you know, veteran target for Lamar. I think that that's a, that's a, all we would want him for. That's all we need him for. Yeah, absolutely. And a restricted role, fourth or fifth receiver on the team, limiting his snaps and he still is a speed threat. I mean, this, I want to get the reason for optimism because I have, I have stuff on my list too. It's just the 2022 season was terrible. It was a complete <laughs> toilet flush of a season from Aguilar. And it's something that, you know, he, it's, it's on his permanent record. That's the, that's the truth of the matter, but he still brings some speed to the table. He's 442 coming out. I don't think he's anything like that today, but he's not four six either. Yeah. And he, I, I think that is really one of the things the Ravens probably looked at to decide, can he still take the top off of defense? And when I say take the top off of defense, I don't mean, sometimes outrun a single man in a, a single cornerback when on a, on a single, a, a single sided receiver. 
Um, I, what I mean is that he he also draws safety help on that side because that's what the Ravens really need. Zay Flowers terrifically important to this team because he brings the speed to draw that safety the way Marquise Brown did. Uh, create space for Andrews underneath so Andrews is not consistently double covered. Create space for Beckham who has you know other issues with separation but could use a big body as a good route runner to get some wiggle at the top. Um, you know he's I, I think there's there's the hope there. It likely will be a big threat if he can get in the middle of the field without a congestion of defensive bodies being there as there was for a lot of the Roman era. Uh, same thing could be true of Kolar. You know, just yeah. get a good catcher in the middle of the field who who, who could do that. Um, I, I think I think the speed is one reason that I would point to for optimism, but he's got to actually translate that speed into gravitational pull on additional defenders. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping the speed's there. You're right. That's that's a huge. That is a huge reason why we signed him. And you know, we've we've a lot of our speed guys have gotten hurt. A lot of them have. You know, Bateman goes down. Hollywood had the list. Frank. Um, you know, Duvernay. Like all of our guys that have been the quote unquote take the top of the defense guys or envisioned that in that role have never haven't have only been doing that for a very short time for us. Maybe less than a season for most of them. So. Hopefully, you know, I think throwing another dart at the board at that style position receiver is is good. You know, I, I think that that that's could help us in the long run. And, you know, look at the look at the Chiefs last year. They threw a bunch of they threw a bunch of resources behind their re- receiver room to replace Tyreek. You know, they bring in Juju. Uh, they brought in they got Kadarius Tony. They brought in uh, MVS, you know, Marquez Valdez Scantling. You know, they draft Sky Moore. They still had Hardman, um, to, and that ended up really helping them because uh, MBS had a huge playoff game for them. I think against the Bengals, I'm not sure, um, but he helped get them over the hump. And again, that's a fourth, fifth receiver for their team. So mm-hmm. if Aguilar could be a guy like that, where it's like, hey, we're in a big game here, we just need somebody to show up. Maybe he does show up. So you know, I have a lot more faith in him than James Prochet to show up in the, in a spot well, like that. I, I, there's no doubt about that. Obviously, we were you know we're not going to disagree on that one at all. But it's um, anyway, we're, we're we're trying to be positive here. That the, the speed is one thing that I think the Ravens really looked at as being this can help us. The other thing being that he had some experience at X, had been used there some. Certainly not as overwhelming position like a Bateman, for example, but uh, could could be used there. Um, the variety of alignment last year, he played 193 snaps wide left, 147 wide right, 132 slot. That that's a that's a balanced receiver. A lot of guys kind of fall into that. I don't know where they're but well, how Beckham was last year. I need to look at that for the for the expectations show we're doing on him coming up. Um, but it's possible the Ravens looked at that and said he has some productivity or alignment value or problems that we can either focus his play on to get that value or eliminate to eliminate those problems. And one thing with a high drop receiver that comes to mind is he may have a favorite shoulder. And so you may want to get him on one side of the field uh, to, to reduce those number of drops. Yeah. Um, I think I, I agree with all of that. I mean, let's, let's see what, let's see what we get out of him. I mean, one thing I did see last season early was, Good separation as well. I don't think he has that top end speed anymore, but I do think he has the ability to separate, especially over the middle. Um, and and I'm hoping that we can see a little of that next year. And I think if if he can 
you know, show that, I think he can actually carve out some snaps for himself. Um, you know, even with Flowers coming in or Bateman coming back, I think his ability to separate is something that we Lamar really hasn't had from the receiver position at all in his time for the Ravens. Um, you know, and just watching some of those highlights early in the season, I think he had a hamstring about halfway through the season or, you know, week four or five or something like that. And I don't think he was the same player as well. I think that could, that also could go against his record. I know, you know, you've been pulling up his last season a lot, but I think he did have to battle through some injuries as well. So we'll see if he can stay healthy and we'll see if he can create that separation. That's been one of the positives to point to is his durability has been outstanding in, in the NFL or very good. I'd say not, maybe not outstanding, but he's only missed 12 games in an eight year career. Um, you know, there are some guys obviously who play every game, but but uh, that's that's really exceptional. Is that is that he can uh, stay on the field that much? Be interesting to see if he's um, used in a special teams role. I would not um, expect that off the start, based on the fact if if Bateman is not healthy, because I think they'll be they'll want to be too careful with the receivers they do have, right? To try and make sure they can they can keep them around. But he is a guy as the season rolls on, he might be able to help you on special teams, um, gunner or, or uh, uh, whatnot, or punts in particular. And uh, it, it'd be interesting to see how they how they use him there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's 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 all depending on the health of that room, it seems like. Okay, one other thing that I think is a reason for optimism that I think it might be something the Ravens said, okay, this is this is more like the situation with Derek Carr than it is the situation with um uh Mac Jones in New England. And and that is that uh Lamar is a certifiably an extended play quarterback consistently has some of the longest uh, time to throws of any quarterback in the league. And that's a big advantage in terms of separation players and speed players making space for themselves. So if that could turn into something useful and he actually, there's more to it than that because the really great extended player, extended play players also have an instinct for where the space is at the end of the play. And so it's not about raw speed, but it can be, he can have a little more time for separation um, playing with Lamar. And I, I like that. You mentioned some of the field crossing the field issues. That's where some of that space can be created late um, is, is dragging a, you know, an opposing corner who's in single coverage across the field and gaining additional uh, ground on them there. Right. And I feel like that's where, it seems like some of his bigger plays have been on, you know, ex- either extended plays or just down down the field throws. So we'll see what we can get. Um, I really like, uh, I really like, you know, our ability in the in the receiver room to kind of grow together. Uh, we'll see what we get. I think Aguilar could be his best thing that could come from him is his ability to kind of be a bridge, a bridge for both Bateman coming back mm-hmm. slowly. And also Zay Flowers getting ramped up, um, you know, and then we might, he might get phased out. So he could just be a good bridge guy that for the first month of the season, you're like, oh, this guy looks really good. And then by the end of the season, he's barely getting any snaps at all. But for that, it could help us get us a couple wins early on. Yeah, I, that's that's exactly right. I, I completely buy into that. And, and I think that's what the Ravens are thinking in making this move at the cost it came as opposed to later they had to re- be really concerned about the health of the room. I don't know what the what the situation was with Duvernay. There was there were comments that he might have even been back for the playoff game if they could if they'd been able to continue. But uh, um, I I just I don't have a great feeling about that. And I haven't seen any kind of thing in the off season about Duvernay's health. Nothing 
no update yeah. on exactly where he is. If he comes to camp and he's playing fine, well, okay, great. If if he's not, then uh, um, then we uh, we obviously may still have an issue. Um, okay, you hit on the run blocking earlier. He was not an effective run blocker in in twenty two, but you know if you look at his PFF scoring for his whole career, he's been pretty good in his early years, particularly at Philadelphia and even at Las Vegas, and. Um, it, you know, a slight plus run blocker is how I would define him over the period before 22. Maybe it was injuries. I do think that's an area where he will and will have to get better with the Ravens. Right, for sure. I mean, you know, Harbaugh, you're not on the field if you can't block at, at, at the receiver position, essentially. So, um, you know, we'll see what we can get out of them there. Right. So uh, for 23, I think we've we both talked about it a little bit, but a backup X and a fourth or fifth wide receiver role is where I would hope he ends up. Um, you, you'd hope certainly that Zay Flowers, who's terrifically important, Bateman uh, and Beckham all get more snaps for sure. I think there's a question of, of whether Duvernay gets more snaps. And I wouldn't say it's out of the question that somebody else who we don't know yet, whether it's a veteran outside the organization, a young player, they scarf from another roster. And the idea would be that, that Bateman's not ready to go in week one. They need a fifth receiver. All of a sudden they find a way to get this guy in the offense. And we have something that is exciting. Um, it, 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 it's potential that Aguilar could get not beat out of a roster spot, but beat out for some snaps by a player like that. Right. I mean, that that's for sure. So I, I think that really comes down to Bateman's health, how comfortable they are, if they're going to bring somebody else in. Because, I mean, they have bodies. Like, it's not like Tylen Wallace and Prochet went anywhere. They're just down. They're, yeah. they're somewhere. So they have guys that they, they've liked enough to bring in. And, um, you know, they've, give op- they've given them some opportunities to make plays out there. Um, I think that Aguilar has an advantage over DuVernay because the one thing is, even when DuVernay had that, I think it was last season, he had some – he had a – he had some good plays, but he didn't create any separation. And that was, I think, that his biggest issue is he's a speedster that doesn't create separation. He's made some great contested catches for us, but that's not a strength in his game where you need that out of a top-end receiver. Whereas Aguilar, at least you're going to see um, you're going to see some space in the field. And, and Lamar's going to see an easier throw than he would be with DuVernay. So I think that's where he gets the advantage for him. I I don't deny what you're talking about. Devin DuVernay just certifiably catches the football better than than uh, Aguilar does. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's not even close, and and that is most of the difference in the two of them and their yards per target number. Because DuVernay last year, um, it, it certainly wasn't bad at all. Eight point five yards, sorry, eight point three yards per target last year. Uh, that's he was five point eight the year before, so it's not like it's always worked out with him. Again, that it might be the reverse Aguilar situation. We have to figure out which is the real Duvernay uh, there in terms of that. He, he you know gives you something as a um, jet player, and maybe Aguilar will be that. I think I think there's some um, some uh, possibility that Aguilar would be a jet player as opposed to say Flowers or Duvernay. Yeah, I can see that, or like even like a bubble screen guy, just a guy like get him the ball, get, let's see what he can do. Um, keep, give him something easy to catch on just a little bubble screen and say, Hey, go get seven, eight yards on this. We need a, we need a first down. We need an easy conversion. Go ahead. Okay. All right. So, uh, um, let's get down to it in terms of what a good season is for Nelson Aguilar and what a great season is. So for you define any way you like, I might ask you about, about it after the fact, but what's a good season for Nelson Aguilar for you? Um, I think a good season is just he's the bridge. He's the bridge to Bateman's health. He's the bridge to Zay Flowers getting comfortable with the offense. 
um, you know, he, he's a guy that, you know, can fight for snaps and, and, you know, make some big plays for us. I think that's, that's kind of what a good, a good season looks like for him. Um, you know, I, again, without having any sort of track record on what Monken's offense is going to look like for yeah. us, it's hard to be like, Oh, he's going to have five touchdowns or blah, blah, blah. Like it's hard to say, you know, even comparing him to looking at the, the George's offense and, and bringing that here. So I think just being the bridge is, is what a good season looks like. Yeah. I think, I think that by the way, that's a great way to define it. I didn't do it that way. I'm kind of, kind of not thinking that's the, the, the greatest way, but I like your way. And I, I I'll set some performance minimums that aren't stat related. I think he has to have speed that remains such that he can separate versus single coverage and create pressure on safeties to make space got to have some gravitational pull on the safety or he's not really doing the job he needs to do as an X receiver for the tight ends and Beckham and slot receivers, whoever else it might be who's, who's underneath. Um, I think he fills in for Bateman at a level that is at least slightly lower than the league average. I'm, I'm expecting to be above the replacement level, but below the league average level based on where he was last year. If he could come in higher than that, and it's possible because this is a 60th percentile season. It's not an 80th percentile season. Then that would really be fantastic for the Ravens mm-hmm. if he could if he could deliver them a higher level of play than that. I'd say that Monken will find a way to use his tools to otherwise threaten defenses other than just what he can do as a simple X trying to make some wiggle, trying to trying to create space that way and trying to draw the safety. But that Monken finds some other way. It might be jet. It might be crossing the field. It might be some other rub concept or whatever. I. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. I don't know. I, I can't imagine it, but I hope Monken can in terms of exactly how he would use him and that at, uh, that could be potentially exciting. And I think in general, I want him to finish with improved metrics due to a better connection with Jackson than he had with Mac Jones. Um, and he, he, a lot of that's still on him. The drops, they're on him. The contested catch rate is probably mostly on him. Not all, but mostly. Probably got some low-quality contested catches because it's Mac Jones. Um, but I want him. I want to see him um, improve, generally speaking, in those metrics. He can't be in the bottom quartile of every single freaking metric like it seemed like he was last year. Yeah, that's for sure. How about a great season? What's a great season? <laughs> a great season is, you know, uh, I'll take that that bridge analogy. Is just like when he is in that role early in the season, he capitalizes. Uh, he pops on the field to the point where you start saying, "Hey, we can't take him off the field, or we can't reduce his snap count to put in flowers so much, or take him out on some of those preferred routes that um, we completely change our offense." You know, he. I think a great season for him looks like he he becomes just like 
a super uh, reliable deep threat or big play guy that, you know, he might not get all the targets, but for some reason he'll, he'll find the end zone a handful of times. He'll, uh, he'll make a couple big 40, 50 yard plays that you're like, wow, why are we throwing to their fourth receiver? Um, and why is he this open? Um, I think that that's what a great season looks like from him. You know, his, his ability to create space comes back to what he looks like on the Raiders and some of those early Philly days. Um, you know, he's, he becomes more of a reliable target for Lamar uh, down the field and somebody that, you know, we can ease Bateman back into and he can say, okay, hey, like, take as much time as you need. You're handling this spot. He can, that's what a great season looks like for him. That would, that would be certainly very great. I do you, if you're looking to look at the percentile of outcomes, you, you look ahead at the possible range of outcomes for a player like Aguilar in this year. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of really bad ones where he's hurt early on, doesn't happen. Then, he, then there's others where he's, he's just ineffective because that's what he was the last year. And there's others where, he, you know, he's not terrible, but he doesn't reach the 2020 level again either. If you're looking at the range of potential outcomes for who this guy might be with the Ravens in 2023, where do you think what you've just described would be? What percentage? Pretty low. Yeah. <laughs> honestly probably under 20 percent, but that's that's also because look how many mouths we have to feed on that offense too because mm-hmm. we don't we're not talking about the, the tight end room and likely we're sitting here talking about the receivers and what aguilar can do to fight his spot for that he's still gonna have to compete for targets and obviously there i feel like they're gonna do a little bit more of the screen game and so we got dobbins involved so i mean it's it's hard to say hey how are you going to carve out a great season in a in a room full of talent or at least a room full of mouths to feed yeah. Um, I think that's, that's what I would say. Yeah. One of the, one of the reasons to look forward to the mouse to feed argument is there's going to be a lot more targets this year. I mean, they yeah. only had, I think they threw 488 passes last year, but it'll be a lot more this year The the Roman offense, uh, which was great. Honestly, if you, if you look at the four years of Roman offense, very effective for the Ravens in terms of completely controlling the clock, uh, totally reducing snap count in games, keeping the defense fresh with that by by uh, keeping the ball longer and just strictly from the from a run play versus pass play perspective, run plays take longer off the clock than pass plays do. Pass plays have incomplete passes that that uh, do that. Pass plays have a, a lot more out of bounds endings to them that uh, that end up stopping the clock. So it's a um, you know. The Ravens are going are, are gonna to have many more passes. The, the flip side of that and the part that's really difficult, and we'll talk about this a little bit more with Travis Jones, is that they're going to have to play a lot more defensive snaps. And because of it, and that will that potentially has some wear down effect the Ravens uh, might not be happy with. But you also get to wear down the, off- uh, the other team on offense, and that's nice as well. Um, I'll, t- I'll tell you what I had for a great season for Aguilar. I said supported by ex- extended pocket times, finds a new home in the Ravens as a deep threat. And his season is more reminiscent of 2020 than all of his other NFL seasons. Gets rotated in for freshness. You hit this about, you know, that, that they, even when Flowers is healthy, they, they, they still use both. They still find a way to use both. And he produces enough that he draws safety attention regularly. Targeted at least 50 times for 8.5 yards per target. It's the only number I'm gonna, numbers I'm going to stick in there are a kind of a minimum target number and an 8.5 yards per target. I think if he could do that, I think the Ravens would would benefit from having him, and uh, and to me, that's about an 80th percentile result. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, I love that. That's that sounds good to me. If we can get get something like that out of him, you know, um, I'd add I'd use him as a great pass blocker. You know, somebody at you know maybe he's he's on the field more than Flowers just because in the run game he's more valuable than Flowers is early on. Yeah, that I, I, it's it is a little scary to think that the Ravens might be as shorthanded as they seem to be in terms of run blocking ability at wide receiver. They've got great run blocking tight ends uh, on the thing. They've got Ricard. But you know they they're presumably be running a lot versus eleven personnel with eleven personnel rather, and and when you do that, your receivers have to contribute something. They have to contribute sure. something. You got three of them on the field. You can't just have nothing out of those guys. So. All right. Well, you know we we had our production meeting beforehand, and we thought you know this might be a long discussion because I think we have some healthy debate on exactly who Nelson Aguilar is and and uh, you know how how likely he is to help the Ravens this season. What are some of the positives to look at and. Great debate. Really appreciate that, John. And we're going into Travis Jones here. I'm guessing we might both love Travis Jones. Just a little bit, you know. I mean, God, it seems like we just talked about how the the Steelers, they breed receivers. I feel like the Ravens breed defensive linemen mm-hmm. or just that front. Like, So he's another guy that you, you looked at the tape when he got drafted, and you're like, how did this guy slip to the third round? Like, I get he goes to UConn, like whatever. Mm-hmm. But just he, it's crazy how athletic he looks. Um, and how comfortable he looked last season as a rookie, especially early. Yeah, it was, it was it was great that he was able to step in the way he did. Pierce injured in the third game. And it is not typical for Ravens defensive linemen in the rookie season to play as many snaps as Travis Jones did, and particularly one who ones who have a limited role. So Travis Jones was, a, was pretty much a, a nose tackle only last year for the Ravens. Some of that was the fact that Pierce got hurt, forced him into that role. He didn't play until week three. Jones, or that's when Pierce got injured. And Jones ended up playing 30% of the snaps as a rookie, including you know two games that he, that he wasn't even on the field for. So that's, that's an impressive number. If you go back to Brandon Williams, I don't remember what his, but it wasn't anywhere near as high during, during his rookie season. Yeah, I mean – just looking at just looking at film from Brandon Williams and looking at film from Travis Jones, it just seems like I mean Travis Jones looks like he shoots out of a cannon sometimes, and the way he can escape, get off blocks, is just it's it's crazy because I felt like Brandon Williams was like our Vince Wilfork. He was a space eater. He just kind of like clogged the middle, and it was like, well, that's how you're shutting down the run game. Travis Jones does that, maybe not to the extent of Brandon Williams, but his ability to get off of those blocks and actually either make a play or make the running back or quarterback make a, a little extra wiggle to give, you know, queen or now Roquan some time mm-hmm. to get in there to clean it up is, is really impressive, especially for how little, um, you know, how little he's been on the field with us. So it, I just think his role is going to be huge next year. And yeah. another reason that we kind of were like, well, Calais, we got to use your money elsewhere. Um, you know, we can, we can, we can make do with the guys we have in the room. Completely agree on the comments about penetration in particular. And, and the, the Ravens are underutilizing in some ways, or they're not, they, they're, they're not getting full value of his penetration when he's playing nose tackle. Cause most of the time he's going to start with a double team at that spot. Meaning, meaning either one guard and the center is going to be on him. He won't be straight up against the center. That's a real recipe for disaster if you want to put Travis Jones straight up against your center, yeah. uh, whether pass blocking or run blocking. Um, but if you if you want to get him a one-on-one matchup on a regular basis, you got to move him to three-tech. And three-tech, you typically get to play one-on-one against the guard. Um, the, the, the combination I want to see is him at the three and Pierce at the nose tackle, one position. 
And I think that could be incredibly powerful for the Ravens. First of all, Pierce himself is a terrific athlete and just hope we can keep him on the field this year because he's really yeah. important to the Ravens. But if if Jones is allowed to go one on one against a three tech, he's going to be uh, against a guard rather. He's going to be in the backfield all year. Uh, he's going to be a guy who's who's in there on run plays. It may occasionally be frustrating in terms of he runs himself out of position, out of position. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's for the linebackers to clean that up if if yeah. that happens. By the way, but but I think then it's going to be much more fun to see all of the running plays that he disrupts with some first contact in the backfield or denies space or forces a bubble to one side or bifurcates the field to force the running back to have less space to work with, let alone what he could do in the passing game. So I, I think that, uh, you know, I would love to see as many three tech snaps as possible for Travis Jones this year. And I think it really fits with one of the Ravens other big needs, which is to, Keep Justin Matabike better rested. Yeah. And he's critical to their pass rush. And the only way you can get him off the field more often is to is to basically get him to avoid playing early three tech snaps, early down three tech snaps. And play 59% last year. If you look at two things, how he played as the season went on, he was worse as the season went on, and how he played in terms of individual games, his best games were low snap count games. So, you know, play to that strength. You know, I know Matabike is a chiseled Adonis this year. At least that's how, you know, he's been described. And, and he was chiseled before. So I, I have a hard time figuring out how he could be anymore. But still, he seems to have a playing time limitation that I hope the Ravens will observe carefully. Right. I mean, that's that's some of the biggest headaches with, with our defense over the last couple of years. It's just it seems like our defensive line has always worn out as the season has gone on. Um, you know, whether that was the pass rush with Justin Houston, um, a couple of years ago, where in OA, like it just seems like we're, we have there's always one or two positions on that line that we're relying on one or two guys to do too much. And by the end of the season, they're almost not a shell of themselves, but they're just not that effectiveness is, is just not there. And uh, I think it's interesting you said. You know, you want to see Travis just play that three. Um, I was listening to, uh, you know, the Ravens, the lounge podcast. Um, and, and they had him on and he, and they asked him, Hey, what position do you see yourself playing on the line? And he said he wanted to play nose. So it's kind of interesting to, to hear him talk about that. That's the position that he was, sees himself in or is the best fit. Yeah. Very interesting. So, you know, as time goes on, we'll see if like maybe they do a little pivoting between him and Pierce to just flip them back and forth and just see what happens there. Well, I mean, you know, honestly, if they want him to play nose and Pierce to play three, I could live with that also. But the the Ravens have a history of this. The Ravens, when when Pierce was an undrafted rookie free agent, he was clearly one of their best defensive linemen. They moved Brandon Williams to three. Yeah. Brandon Williams was not perfect for the three tech role. He's not the same kind of penetrator that Jones is. Jones has characteristics that are just outstanding in terms of strength and quickness. In terms of strength, Brandon Williams had them all. In terms of quickness, he really didn't, doesn't. Yeah. And that was a that was a you know I, I it was a great move at the time for the Ravens to do that with the one three move with with uh, um, uh, Pearson Williams. And I think this is this is the the next really great opportunity they've had to do it. You know they've had a lot of different body types along the lines. They haven't had too much of two massive nose tackles who are both among their most talented players. And now that they've got it again figure out how to use these two guys at the same time. I mean, you want them both on, on the same downs. So 
Don't make them compete with each other for an eyedropperization of snaps when both could play more. Try and rest some of your other players who you really want on third down. You know, Brandon Williams, uh, sorry, not Brandon Williams, um, uh, uh, the three, th- oh, the three tech, um, had a BK. No, the other one, Urban um, Broderick, Broderick Washington, Broderick Washington. Yeah. He knocked down a bunch of passes last year. He's a guy you want in on passing downs a lot. You probably also want him in on early downs as well. You could have him in on early downs as a five, but he, he gives you, uh, you know, some things in the passing game that are positive. And Matt at BK, honestly, just got to play less snaps to be effective. It's, it's just, it's painfully obvious from what happened last year. Uh, that he really needs to needs to have a reduced snap count. Yeah, for sure. I feel like he's he's going to be highly motivated with his contract year. And oh yeah, you know, I mean, we we already know we're going to be probably saying goodbye to him. So we'll see what kind of contract he gets on the let's, open market. You know, let's say goodbye to him after a nine sack season where he's I would love a, that a DPOY candidate. That's that, that would be the way to go. <laughs> that, that would be that'd be great. You know, love that. A little bit more about about, uh, Jones. He was used almost exclusively as an early down run defender. That's 34 out of 342 snaps last year. uh, Came with uh, only 34, came on third or fourth down. So it's only a tenth of his snaps. It's it's a prototype kind of nose tackle usage um, that you get that guy off the field on third down. You have have a kick-in outside linebacker if you're the Ravens. Sometimes you have two, and you also have one guy who you really love as a pass rusher more. In in the case of last year, that was Campbell, and when they used two early in the season because they didn't have outside linebackers to kick in, then it was also Matabike. So uh, I I think Matabike will still fill that role on third down. I think they're going to be back to kick in outside linebackers, and wouldn't absolutely shock me if Travis Jones gets a little more third down love because of what he can do earlier, if they really test out who he is as a pass rusher. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I think that the Ravens do a good job of, of kind of slow playing some of those, those rookie guys. And then they kind of see what they can do. And then after a while, they just start kind of unleashing them and they just kind of start throwing, uh, they start throwing them in weird positions that you, you never know where he's going to line up. I mean, I think McDonald's is as creative as, as Wink was. I think that he utilizes the talent a lot better too. Um, or at least in what, in the one season he gave with us, um, I think he, he forms his scheme to, to what our, our strengths are kind of like what, what Munkin's kind of brought in to do. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm going to build an offense around what we have as opposed to, Hey, this is what I do. So I'm hoping to see that continue to grow like it did last year. Um, obviously, it, it was kind of slow. You know, you look back at the Miami game and some of those other ones where you, you got Hamilton out of position or we have, you know, some of those young corners getting beat deep and, mm-hmm. and we end up losing that game. So I think it, there's going to be some growing pains, but I think this is a pretty established team, uh, you know, side of the ball, at least. A lot of those guys, they're all coming back at least for a year, um, you know, with the year experience with McDonald. Yeah, I, I, I do. I would not, I, by the way, McDonald proved to be very good, I think, very adept at um, adapting his game plan to the opponent and mm-hmm. also some making changes. But that was both those are also extreme strengths of Wink Martindale. I, I don't, I, I, you know, I think we've got two coordinators here that have left in the last couple of years. And Roman, I just, I really dislike people pretending like Roman was a terrible coordinator. He wasn't. He's the best offensive coordinator the Ravens have ever had. It's, it's, it's sure. not close. It's if it is close, you know, it's Kubiak for one year in 2014, getting a big year out of Flacco. 
but it's but it really i mean what they were able to do in the in the in years two through five of lamar jackson it's just remarkable and i i think lamar should recognize it i think that that the ravens should should recognize that they do i don't think that's a problem i think the ravens media and fans really just need to appreciate how good he was and We'll have it bad again someday. We'll have a really bad offensive coordinator who makes a lot of mistakes because the Ravens had a bunch of guys. Remember Mark Tressman? <laughs> you know, do you, do, you, do you remember some of the other guys they had? Morning Wake. Yeah, Morning Wake was was is another one who you know not particularly good. Um, you know, it's, they've they've had a bunch of guys that that didn't work out, and then finally they get one who's outstanding. They made him wait to get the job for quite a while. I mean, make it, make him wait for an extra year behind Marty Morning Wake. You know, after he's already been in here managing tight ends or run game coordinator, yeah. or whatever the hell his, his title was before he got to the offensive coordinator, they really waited. Then they built the offense around Lamar Jackson with with um, Roman, and you couldn't have you couldn't have done it better. You couldn't have done it better. I mean, he immediately, not only did Jackson have one of the greatest years in the history of the NFL, but he also, uh, uh, you know, had a limited offensive cast who produced and certainly in terms of salary in particular, who produced one of the greatest points per drive season that's ever been delivered. And if you compare that to the cap spent on that team, it's just, it was an unbelievable, it's one of the greatest coaching jobs of all time to put together that offense in that way and, and, and succeed the way they did. And then everything he did after that is compared to 2019 Lamar. And it just, it, to me, Un- unbelievably unfair to Greg Roman over that period. I agree with that. I mean, what we're, you know, we're definitely, we're definitely a spoiled fan base in the last four mm-hmm. years with, with Lamar coming in uh, with Roman, the way he did. I mean, I think, I think some of the biggest notes that you hear Ravens fans complain about is with Roman was a couple of things. Um, you, you just see like lack of creativity, lack of, lack of creativity, um, you know, lack of ability to adjust in game and, you know, lack of ability to come back in games. Amazing how, how well we looked in that 2019 season. Cause we're up in every single game We're we're winning every single game pretty much from the first drive on. But when, when the chips were down and, you know, we're not able to come back from a 10 point lead. And then when you have Mahomes out here who it doesn't even seem like a 14 point lead is safe. For, for anyone, it's, then what are we talking about? Okay, we can possess the ball like anyone else. Uh, we can Not like, like, like better than anyone else. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> yeah. true. Uh, that's what I meant to say. Um, yeah. You know, but the issue is Mahomes is going to score. I don't care what the defense is doing. Uh, he's shown that. And, and there's, there's a couple other quarterbacks that can do the same. Um, you know, I think that Philly's another team that's kind of built like that. Uh, that can kind of come back in games or keep themselves in games regardless. Um, and I, I just didn't see over time, especially as the years went on, it just felt like teams kind of figured us out. They boxed us up. And when we didn't either have the running backs, when we had uh, every every age veteran running yes. back coming back in. By the way, we haven't learned anything about that, it doesn't seem, but yes. <laughs> For sure. So I think that's the biggest thing. And, and then you look back to his Kaepernick days, the issue with Roman is he's super effective in that first season. And then you look, the numbers deteriorate over time. And again, that's, that's there. We, we have two instances of that. I mean, I, even I think he was, I, in- I, I would buy that, but John, how do you explain the fact that he's been around the league forever and he's still able to come back with a new quarterback and 
and put together one of the greatest offensive seasons of all time. If, if they truly had figured Roman out, then it wouldn't matter who they had. And Colin Kaepernick and, and uh, you know, in his early years and Lamar Jackson, there's a difference between the two. But, uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't just a scheme. Sorry. I, I, I think it's I think it would be foolish to not give Roman credit for coming up with a scheme that was remarkable for Lamar Jackson in that 2019 season. And frankly, in the 2018 season as well, because Lamar is very limited as a quarterback in that year. He completely changed his ability to throw. Roman found a way to win six out of seven games down the stretch. They had a great defensive team that, that got the job done, but it was Roman getting those consistent first downs with Lamar that was a big part of that team. Right. I'm not, again, not trying to bash Roman. I'm just mm-hmm. trying to trying to give you the other side of like, where, where that anger comes from or that frustration with him comes from, yeah. um, you know, those, those couple notes, but again, I mean, what are we complaining about here? We had one, one of the most exciting and fun five-year stretches that, that we could have had. I just think we, we, I think they would have lost a lot of the fan base if they would have kept him around this year. And I yeah. mean, you look at, you look at the Hollywood Brown thing. I think that essentially that was, you know, he came in and said, it's either Roman or it's me. And they said, well, we're picking Roman this year. And then, but again, it good hurt choice. our ability. Yeah, good, great <laughs> choice. Great choice. Uh, we'll take that every time. But again, it hurt our ability to bring in any sort of outside receiver help, um, you know, and then it made us have to waste more draft capital at that position. And we haven't hit. So uh, I think that overall it was, it, it was time to, to separate. Just And same thing with Wink. Um, it was time to separate. It, well, okay. First of all, the case of uh, a case of Roman don't don't have any disagreement on on that it was time to separate. But the, the problem I have is the bashing of Roman after the fact it is is that you know people don't realize just how incredibly great he was. They want to poo poo everything the guy did, and frankly, great offensive coordinator. He put together an incredible stretch of play under Lamar Jackson. Was it time to go? I, I do believe it was time to move on to. I don't really blame him for what happened in the last two years. I think most of that is Huntley. And the fact that you drop off from Lamar to Huntley means you just can't run your offense anymore. It's, it's just effectively what that means. Should he, should he have had something he could pivot to? Yes, perhaps, perhaps so. But if you've got, if you've got Tyler Huntley on the field, um, you're just not going to be a very good offensive football team. I mean, it's just, it, it, it starts there. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's a, it, it, it really hurts you to, to, to be in that position. But with Wink, my feeling is different about it. I didn't think they had to they had to let Wink go at all. I think that they could have signed him, but there, there was a disagreement about whether they wanted to commit for that one year only or wanted to commit for multiple years. And the Ravens said, okay, we're ambivalent enough and don't want to give you a multi-year deal that we're just going to let you let you roll now and we'll part ways on a on a mutually understood basis. I, I don't think he was forced out by any means. I think he kind of forced himself out by saying, I want a multi-year deal. The Ravens said no. And and then they talked about it and they said, should we just part ways now? Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I have a lot, I have a really a lot of positive things about Wink. I mean, especially him taking over from Dean Pease. And I was just kind of, I was, I was ready for Dean Pease to, to go. Let's yeah. just say that. So, I mean, him coming back and it just felt like, it felt like when Wink came back, we got our defense back. Um, yeah. It felt like Dean Pease was just kind of like, there again, he was with that aging veteran team, so not as effective. But it just felt like um, we didn't have people didn't fear us the way they feared us when Wink was our coordinator, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's, I did. Go ahead. 
I, I just want to say this. Been, the Ravens have been remarkably fortunate in their entire history. They've never really had a bad defensive coordinator. And people are going to say, well, what about Madison, for example? He, he wasn't bad. He was kind of a little bit of a caretaker that was just there for a couple of years before Pagano came in and after Rex Ryan, I believe. Yeah. might have been somebody in between. I might have even been forgetting. But, I mean, the litany of guys, the guys have all gone to great success out of that coordinator role is, is remarkable. I mean, just, you know, it's, uh, you know, they have, uh, you know, all of those guys go on to head coaching roles or big, uh, big, big jobs, other places. It's, uh, you know, much, much deserved. But let's get back to Travis Jones because we're running a lot, very long on this episode. It's one other thing I need to talk about, and that is the defense and how they're going to figure out how to get the snaps played that were, are going to be vacated by Calais Campbell. And it's kind of interesting we're talking about this because Calais Campbell was a 34-year-old player when he came to the Ravens. And at, after his age 36 season, we're still saying, oh, my God, how are we going to replace his snaps? <laughs> and, and, uh, For sure. And he's playing you know, just a ton of defensive snaps still. I did, he came to the Ravens. He played between 77 and 80% of the snaps every single year for five consecutive years, which is a record of consistency that I, I've never, uh, I've never observed before in any particular player. And the Ravens reduced his snaps, which is the right thing to do. They play more, much more rotational play than, than Jacksonville and Arizona had who relied on him more heavily. And that was good, but it's just still incredible to me that, that you know, he's going somewhere at age 37. He's probably going to play 50% of the snaps for Atlanta. <laughs> and uh, it, the guy is just ageless. For sure. I mean, he. how do you take him off the field? I mean, even in special teams, he's blocking field goals. Like, it's like, this is ridiculous. So I think that that would hurt the most um, this offseason and just saying goodbye to him with just kind of having to move that cap around. Um, I think that that was definitely huge, uh, a huge loss for us. But I do think it's the one position group that you're like, if you're going to take a guy out, even if it's him, you, you might be able to patch together something because they've been able to do it before. Um, you know, and the Ravens defense is at its best when the D line is, is one of the, is one of the best position groups on the field. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then you're losing Campbell. You're going to, you risk that not being the case. So of course <laughs> you're, uh, but, but I do like, it. I like the, I like what they, what they potentially can do with this group they have. I do think it's paper thin that if they have an injury or two there, they're, they're going to really feel it in a way that most other teams would not. Um, but I looked at last year, and there's some things that are tricky about last year that make it – the Ravens don't have to duplicate their snap count in one way, and they have to more than duplicate their snap count in another. Let me talk about those. Last year, they had 2.22 defensive linemen per play. It's not the, not the outside linebackers, but 2.2 pure defensive linemen per play. That's high for the Ravens. They normally would play something like 2.0 for multiple reasons. First of all, if you think about it, when you play nickel defense, you have exactly two on the field. When you play your base defense, you have three on the field, but base defense is not a big part of the modern NFL because the other team goes to 11 personnel. You're forced into a nickel look. That essentially means you have to have two defensive linemen on the field at that time. And then furthermore, when you get to obvious passing downs, the Ravens way has been to replace one defensive lineman with a third outside linebacker on the field rushing from the inside. Last year, they didn't have that for the whole season because they didn't have healthy outside linebackers to, to play. They did later in the year when they had J JPP and Houston came to the team. Then they had some more guys to, to, to mix and match with. 
but they didn't early in the year. And that really increased that number of defensive linemen who had to be on the field on a per play basis. So the good news is I think the Ravens will be able to reduce their total DL snaps to something like 2.0 this year, gets rid of 10% of the snaps um, just from the fact that they'll be able to go to more kick in plays and hopefully have some leads and, and, and avoid base defense more. So have other teams passing to catch up and they get to play, they'll play more 11 and they'll, and they'll play two defensive linemen or more plays. Um, so that was, that was one thing. Anything, anything to say about all that, by the way, I know that's a lot. No, no. I mean, <laughs> Hey, you, you got the numbers. So I I'm, I'm going off of what you're telling me. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see. Like you're right. The D line is thin. So we've had other thin lines and, and then we've had seasons that we've lost because the D line was too thin. Um, and just couldn't create that pass rush. And I think that that hurt Wink in a couple of those years um, and when he had to rely a lot on those one-on-one coverages from uh, corners to send blitzes and try to create pressure that way. That kind of hurt a lot of his stock um, some, in some of those seasons where, you know, that was kind of the note Ravens fans always said, oh, you know, he's always putting guys in one-on-one positions and we don't have the guys to cover these guys. But I think a lot of that is what you're saying is maybe because we needed the D-line uh, to help help them create some pressure. Okay, I don't want to get too far removed from this because I, I really want to talk about like how these defensive linemen are going to fill the snap counts <laughs> snap, yeah. snap by, by Calais Campbell. The second part is the bad news, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, is that because Monken is coming in, the offense is going to be moving the ball around. That means the average drive length for the Ravens is going to be fewer plays because they'll be – predictably bigger plays, I would think. And also that they're going to have more possessions for both team in the games because the possessions are shorter. So I, I would expect Monken to be, uh, you know, if, if the average was say between 10 and 11 um, offensive drives per game for the Ravens during the Lamar area, the last few years, and I haven't looked at it exactly to know I'd expect about, you know, one and a quarter more possessions per game or about a 10% increase in snaps Go in the other direction, right? Where you have additional defensive linemen, you have to you have to play snaps. So by by percentage of snaps, the Ravens I think can can get there with the players they have. But by number of snaps, I'm more worried about it in terms of um, you know the, you get tired based on number of snaps and by consecutive snaps played um, more than you do by uh, percentage of snaps played, which is a you know, a more notional number, right? Um... Yeah, it's 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 definitely going to be interesting. I think that's that's a great storyline that a lot of people aren't talking about. That's something that we're going to have to watch and see how that plays out. Let's see how effective the offense is. Let's see if that makes the defense less effective. And you know what what are we going to get? I mean, I will say our D line for the most part is young, so that's one advantage we do have is is we're not throwing the thirty six year old out there and asking him to to play more. We're we're throwing the twenty sums year old olds out there and, and guys that are actually hungry to play like project Washington, like those mad BK, they want to play. Um, I think that they've been in that weird rotation where they've had those huge veteran guys and those guys that you're not peeling off the field for any reason. Um, so I think they're trying to make a name for themselves. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, I think Travis Jones is going to be a huge part in that um, is, is his ability to a stay healthy and be, be the player who we drafted and who we saw last year.
Yeah, that's it's a really good point about they're generally younger in the defensive line. They still have Michael Pierce, who's had some injury problems and is is now over thirty. But uh, but I would generally agree they're they're as as weighted by playing time. They're certainly a pretty young defensive line uh, in, in terms of where they are. And the Ravens they've liked their veterans over the years. They've had plenty of veteran defensive linemen around, um, and they've also had some good in season success finding them. Oftentimes. The Ravens practice squad, I always point out, is the poaching grounds for every other NFL team. If you lose defensive yep. linemen, you're one short. Who do the Ravens have in their practice squad? <laughs> that's, that's, that's your first question. Um, if, if in On the other side, um, the Ravens have been pretty good, in, in particularly 2018, at rebuilding a defensive line on the fly that had some serious injuries. They get them out of Pecco and, and uh, Jelly Ellis both yeah. on the line at the same time. And those guys helped them get through that season, and they were pretty damn good defensive players. Uh, it was a uh, you know it was a nice thing to be able to to, to see the Ravens uh, put together. Wait, that was 2019, right? Did I say it was 18? Yeah. Anyway, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get back to it. We'll, we'll we'll finish up here with what's a good season for Travis Jones and uh, define it as you will. Um, a good season for him is just is just his ability to just take pressure off Pierce. Um, you know, flip for that one to three role. Hopefully, take some pressure off Matabike. Um, you know, be that be that space filler in the middle of the field that we we need, we love, and you know, in our best seasons, we seem to always have. Um, just be it, just eat the space. So I think that's what what I I think a good season looks like for him is just his ability to be a guy that teams have to account for, whether he's playing the one or the three. Um, you know, somebody that they're afraid of they have to game plan for they have to do something um and his ability to help others create sacks create pressures uh, deflections and other things like that okay it's very good i have a lot of that myself so there's going to be some repeat here but i i'd start by saying i don't have any specific goals in terms of a pass rush and i i think that you didn't make any either but i'd like to see him be a little more effective in terms of one-on-one as a pass rusher but not leading any specific stats that that i have uh, I'd like some small steps forward in technique and ability to deal with defensive tackles. Uh, sorry, with double teams. Um, and uh, that's an area where uh, all defensive linemen tend to struggle some. If you're double teamed, you just tend to get pushed around a little bit. And it's the rare guy who has the strength and you know low center of gravity and, and pad level and all that you want that can really hold his ground pretty well. But I think Travis Jones could be one of those guys. And I think that'd be a good season if you could, if we would see more of that. All I want is a, a marginal improvement off last year is what I'm talking about. One thing we didn't mention earlier because we were skipping around a little bit between various topics is Travis Jones was a one freaking great rate tackler in 2022. He only missed either one or zero, depending on the source you use. Pro football reference says zero. Pro football focus says one tackle the entire year. So either a zero or 4% missed tackle rate. And that's terrific um, if, if he could maintain that. So that would really be good. Um, in, in terms of one other thing, I would like to see him um, uh, play about 40 to 45% of the snaps, even if Michael Pierce is healthy. I think that's the proper increment to his snap count that I'd want. And it's kind of a minimum. Now, obviously he has to stay healthy as well to that, that kind of a number for the year. Um, if Pierce is lost, I would expect that number to catapult up into the fifties because, you know, obviously the Ravens are going to have trouble finding the, the, the bodies to put on the field. 
Uh, I think that does it for a good season for me, but just a, a marginal increases in productivity, some one-on-one wins as a pass rusher, 40 to 45% of snaps. Right. Sounds good to me. How's a great season for you? A great season. Um, I, he, he becomes the Michael Pierce 2.0 to the Brandon Williams, where it's at the point where he is, he's the guy that we're like, Hey, let's move Pierce around. Let's, let's put Travis Jones as the nose. Let's, let's see him eat the space. Let's, uh, and, and I think that, you know, in that, within that, he would have to show his ability to rush the passer, get some sacks, or at least get some pressures that lead to sacks where you're talking about a guy that, you know, he's taking on double teams and he's his ability to create so much havoc back there that other guys are just eating. Uh, Matt Abike, for instance, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Oa, um, Ojabo, they're, they're, those seasons, those productivity numbers go way up. And it's, it, it's everyone's going to talk about the pass rush, but it's really coming from the interior line. So yeah. I think that's what a great season looks like for him is, is he's threatening Pierce at that nose um, pretty much from the start and to the point where they're just kind of like, hey, let's reduce your, your count, your snap count, Pierce, and let's see what Travis Jones can do, or we, let's move you around and, and let's get a little more creative, creative, creative and see what, what happens. <laughs> Just fascinating on a couple of levels. First of all, I, I really love the notion that um, he would improve the pass rate, pass rate statistics of everybody else, pass rush rate statistics of everybody else along that line. I think that's the Ravens have lived off second man opportunities. And that was part of what I had. Pass rush may not show up in gaudy sack total, but pocket cre- compression creates second man opportunities. And I think that's you're, you're right on the money. As far as the one, three thing goes, I did. It's not, immediately obvious to me why Jones would not be the better choice for three tech than Pierce, but I'm okay. Either way it works. I just want to see them both on the field at the same time. If the coaches, if McDonald thinks, yep, our, our best one, three combination is respectively Jones and Pierce at the three fine. You know, I think Pierce could, could be devastating to opposing guards, getting low and pushing them right back into the quarterback quickly to try and uh, create that, you know, need to move the pull the ball down and and change your position, which inevitably leads to to more dangerous situations for the quarterback, whether that's you know down the field or or in in terms of sacks. Uh, I don't want his run defense to improve modestly uh, at nose tackle and dramatically when used as a three tech. So, uh, what I mean by that is I, I, he's going to face a lot of double teams on the nose. He's just got to eat that space a little better. The good season level of being able to maintain his position at a better level than his rookie season is all I'm, I'm looking for. I'm not looking for some huge increment to his play. Uh, it could happen, but but I'm not I'm not making it as a condition here. Um, I'd like his snap count to exceed 50%, uh, which will give the Ravens a lot of relief in terms of their 2024 DL rebuild, which is looming. So that's a that is a daunting task. It's been daunting these last few years is, you know, you see all these old guys on the line and thinking, how the hell are we going to rebuild this thing? And they've had, a, you know, a couple of draft picks and, and looks like Travis Jones has really worked out. And he certainly was a bargain in terms of where the Ravens got him. Uh, that's great. But now we really need him to play at the next level yeah. to make sure that rebuild is not just going to be the biggest kick in the gut you, we've we've faced. For sure. Yeah, that's that. You're right. That's that is a big looming problem going into next year. And with Matt Abike probably leaving, um, we got we have Pierce for one more year after this, right? 
Uh, no, I don't believe. I, I I'll have to look at it. One second, let me, yeah, let me look. No worries. I, I think he had void years or something. That yeah, because I've looked this up before. Uh, let's see. So Michael Pierce is no, he's got void years. He's twenty 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 three assigned, and then he's he's got voided salary after that. So I mean, they could they could resign him, but uh, but he's out of here probably after this year. Right. Yeah, that's going to be an Urban. Urban, same way. I mean, another big body on the line. Urban is a year-to-year signee, so he could be back, and he could be yeah. back at the vet minimum. So that that honestly is a very realistic signing. Yeah, it's I had Brad on the show, of course, Brad on the show, and and he's um, he's a very realistic character in terms of of who he is. So he'll be playing his, I think, his ninth season this year, and talked about wanting to play ten years. When you're an NFL vet min guy, like basically I think he will be for however long his career lasts from this point, he's just very realistic expectations. He probably expects to be cut um, on cut down day and then come back prior to week one after they've moved people to injured reserve, for example. He's very open about that and, and CDB. You know, he understands that there's going to be a limited role for him. There'll be some rotation. Uh, you know, he, he, he's just going to try and do the contributory things well. And I think it's the decision becomes more about at the vet minimum whether you're where you want to play. Do you want to play in Baltimore or do you want to move again and play somewhere in Texas, say, or, you know, in Seattle or wherever it might be that, that you do that? So I think that it's, it's easier to resign a guy like that who knows he's going to be playing for the vet minimum than a guy who really is concerned about. You know, shouldn't I be making two point five million this year instead of instead of two million this year? And that's where Michael Pierce might be next year. He may be thinking I should make five right. million as opposed to four million. And then it's going to come down to money with him, for sure, for sure. I mean, again, it's one of those problems that I'm not as worried about, um, just because we're, our ability to rebuild the line on the fly and also just through the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ravens have showed that over the years that that is something that. Their, their scouts do a great job with. So that's something that you're right. It is a looming problem. But if there's one problem on the team that I'd have, I want to have, it'd be that, that position group because, because you think they can solve time. it. Yeah. yeah. And that's a good point. We didn't talk at all about who the undrafted free agents are, but they have a couple of guys, uh, Kai, Kaim Caesar comes to mind and they have a couple of bots or somebody else who, who are mm-hmm. in the Trade bots. Yeah. And in, in the group of UDFAs and, it's not unlikely that one of those guys makes the team if they if they like what they see. It's a it's a tried and true Ravens me- method that they've been able to find these players. So, John, I, I really appreciate you coming on. I think the, the, the debate on Aguilar very uh, long and and certainly very very uh, entertaining. I hope to, to folks to, to to you know see both sides of this issue. And I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to, uh, uh, to to go through it in as much detail as we did. Tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Honestly, hey, I'm I'm not an online guy, man. I'm hoping to hoping to do something in the future, but you know, I'm out in Seattle, so hey, if there's any Ravens fans out here nowadays, like let's let's go catch up, go uh go go catch a game or something. And I'm hoping to come to the the New Year's game against the Dolphins in in Baltimore. So New Year's game against Dolphins, okay? Yeah, so I'm hoping to hoping to see some people uh you know in in black and purple that at that time. All right, very good. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, there's still plenty of time in July. And uh, hit me up. This is the time. Down season. Ravens offices are closed. And the, and the you know Ravens football talk is at a limit because there's no OTAs or uh, other uh, activities going on right now until camp starts. Love to hear from you. And I'll get back to you very quickly. DMs are always open on Twitter. John, thanks again for coming on. 
Appreciate you, Ken. I will talk to you next time on Film Study. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.